like to invite you to uh, take your Bibles, your phones, your electronic device, and join me over First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we're starting this series today entitled Upside Down. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of First Thessalonians. I feel compelled this morning that before we move into this message, though, that we just take a few moments and pray for our nation. We are in a very critical time as a nation. And we need God to help this nation, to guide this nation. We need God to bring sense to this nation. So let's pray together, and as I pray, you pray silently as we lift up our leaders before the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we have come to a critical time in this nation, and we confess that we need your help. We need you to forgive this nation of its sins against you and of our sins against one another. Father, we pray for wisdom and direction for President Trump. We pray, Lord, that he might make right and wise decisions. Father, we pray for the president-elect, Joe Biden. We pray, Father, for him the same that he might have wisdom, and that you would help him in the days ahead to make right decisions. Father, we pray for an end to violence, both from the left and from the right, whoever they may be. Father, help us to recognize that it is righteousness that will exalt this nation, and that sin is a reproach to any nation. Father, we pray for the days ahead of us. Only you know what those days will be like. And we realize, Lord, that ultimately you are the one who is in control. And Father, we pray that your control might be demonstrated. And we pray for your people. May we repent before you. May we humble ourselves before you. May we be lights in the world as you have called us to be. May we be salt in this world and in this nation. Father, we pray also for this virus that has spread throughout our country. We pray, Father, that you would bring an end to this disease that has plagued us. Father, we pray for your wisdom and guidance for us as a church that we might know how to navigate the days that are ahead of us. We pray, Father, that you would guide us in the decisions that we make. May we do everything to bring honor and glory and praise unto you and unto you alone. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, 
right after the results that were being tabulated, uh, Chuck Schumer, the minority leader of the Senate, who is soon to become the majority leader of the Senate, said this, now we take Georgia, then we change America. Now we take Georgia, then we change the world. Now, depending upon your political persuasion, those may be words that after the election this week that bring you joy, or they may bring you great concern about where we are as a nation and where we are headed. Uh, the goal is to turn our nation and to turn our world upside down from where it is right now. They are going to attempt to do it politically. The Apostle Paul and his companions, when they first went into the city of Thessalonica, along with the people there who put faith in Jesus Christ, were accused of turning the world upside down. I want to go back to uh, the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, in verses 1 through 6, we have the story, the history of Paul going into the city of Thessalonica. And listen to what we're told in Acts 17 as Dr. Luke writes uh, this history of the early church. He says, now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Amen. Their charge against Paul and Silas, their charge against the people in the church that has formed there is that they are turning the world up side down. What they do not recognize is that in all actuality, they're turning the world right side up. See, it is sin. It is Satan that has turned the world upside down. What the gospel 
does is it takes an upside world and turns it right side up. What the gospel does in our lives is to take a life that is upside down and turn it up, right side up. What the gospel does is to restore us to a place where we can have relationship with the God who created us. That relationship was broken by sin, but the gospel comes in and it turns things right side up. You know, in the city of Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul first visited there during his second missionary journey. Uh, This city was named after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. The majority of the population was Greek, and there was also an infusion of Romans and Asians. There was also a large colony of Jews in the city. As we heard in Acts 17, as Paul's custom manner was, whenever he goes into a city, he always starts in the synagogue, if there's a synagogue there. Why? Because there he will find people who are studying the scriptures, and he knows that those who are devout and really studying the scriptures, as they're explained to them, will be most likely to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there is a group of the Jews that are saved. There are leading women in the city that are saved. And so a church is formed. And the Apostle Paul stayed there maybe two to six months. We don't know for sure how long he stayed in that city. But we do know that he now writes a letter that we're looking at. He visited there in 51 AD. One year later, in 52 AD, he's writing back to this church. Now, this passage of Scripture we looked at back in September when we were talking about uh, our church and we were talking about the past, the present, and the future. And actually, the same passage we have this morning uh, is the passage that we looked at then. So I was tempted just to pull out the old message and preach it again, uh, but we're not doing that. Uh, we can sing a song again, but preaching the same message again is not very wise for the long term of a pastor in a church. I heard the story of one pastor, he was brand new in the church, and he preached the same message four Sundays in a row. At that point, the elders called him in and said, what's going on here? You've preached the same message four times. He says, well, it's very simple. When you start living the message, I'll move on to message number two. (laughs) Uh, This morning, I'm not preaching the same message before, but I thought we would take, you know, the Word of God is living and alive, and as we read it again and again, we see things that we haven't seen before, and we can take approaches to the Word of God to examine it in a different way. So this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to do so through the lens of two questions. Number one, What does an upside-down world look like? The world said, 
the people there said, we don't like these guys, we need to get rid of these guys. They're turning our world upside down. They're afraid of that. They are being empowered by Satan to oppose this message. But as I said, in reality, they're turning the world right side up. So what does that look like? I think we get some glimpses here in chapter 1. Number 1, we see that a right side up world is a world where there is the work of faith. The work of faith. Where people are working according to what they believe. The word that's used for work refers to all kinds of work. Be it commercial work, agricultural work, working in the trades, fishing, uh, working in the fine arts, whether it's painting, sculpture. It's anything that you are doing that you are putting forth effort to accomplish. Now, as Christians, we should be the best workers in the world. Because we don't just work for our employer, we work for God. And because of the faith that we have placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that faith working out from us, it should create Christians being the best workers. Your employer, as he examines his workforce, should see you as a Christian and say, man, that's one of the best workers that I have. He gives his time that he's supposed to. He works. And God intended for us as Christians to be those who would produce good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 8 to 10, a passage that was preached on last week, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But now listen to the next part. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created us and saved us that we are his workmanship doing good work in the world. So what else does this upside down, right side up world look like? Christians should be laboring in love. It should be a labor of love. The word for labor goes beyond the word for work. The word for labor means you work until you're beat. You're weary. Uh, you have fatigue. Uh, it, this particular word is a more intense word than the word for work. We are to have a labor of love. Who doesn't want to be loved? You know, we have all kinds of songs that are written about sappy love. But this is not that sappy love. This is God's kind of love. Love that is given even when it is not deserved. And as Christians, we should have a labor 
of love. Just as God loved us when we were yet sinners, so we should be loving and reaching out to others. We are like God when we labor in love. Next, we see the situation of the steadfastness of hope. You know, with what's going on in our world, I hope you've not lost your hope. Because we don't put our hope in politicians. We don't put our hope in government. We don't put our hope in leaders. We put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And regardless of what is going on in our world, regardless what happens in the coming days, we will remain steadfast in our hope because we have our hope in the one who is in control of all things. The steadfastness of hope. And actually, the word that's used here for steadfastness is a word that means endurance, especially in the light of persecution. May I predict something for us as a church and as believers? The day of persecution is coming for us. And I believe it's coming very soon when there will be those who subtly and not so subtly oppose the church and seek to shut us down and seek to keep us from gathering and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We will stand firm and steadfast because our hope is in our God. Now, the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, said this, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And what's interesting, and I I mentioned this the last time that we looked at this passage, is these three areas are the way that Paul evaluates all the churches in his letters. If you look carefully at the letters that Paul sends to the churches, he talks to them about their faith, their hope, and their love. And he either commends them or he points out to them that these are areas that they need to grow in. So faith, hope, and love. The gospel, when it comes in, to a person's life as we trust Jesus gives us faith, hope, and love. And as we live out our lives in our community, that is what the community should see from us is a life that is filled with faith, hope, and love. Now, as we look for what this upside-down, right-side-up world is to look like or what it does look like, the other thing that we see in the passage is that the believers will be imitators of the Lord. Look at that in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. 
See, the reason they can praise, that Paul can praise this church in Thessalonica in the areas of faith, hope, and love is because they're acting like Jesus. They're imitators of Him. Have you ever noticed that in our world, everybody likes Jesus? There are very few people who actually speak out against Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. They don't like the church so much, but they like Jesus. Now, some of that is because uh, their image, their thoughts of what Jesus is like is very different from how the Scriptures portray him to us. Uh, that's the Jesus they like, the Jesus they love. But let's not forget, when Jesus was here on earth, he attracted crowds to himself. People wanted to be with Jesus. Remember what was he criticized for? He is with the sinners. He's with the tax collectors. He's with the drunkards. He's out with sinners. How can that be? Why would they want to be around Jesus, the most holy who's ever walked the face of this earth? They liked him. They viewed him as a good guy to be around. I mean, you don't hang out with people you can't stand, do you? Now, the Pharisees didn't like to be around him. But the people, the crowds, I mean, we see in some of his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, which is more like the feeding of the, the 20,000 because they only counted men and not women, the feeding of the 4,000, uh, once again, a much larger crowd. But all these crowds are drawn to Jesus. Now, in Thessalonica, the believers are imitating the Lord. They're acting like Jesus. Would we be mistaken for acting like Jesus? Have we ever been accused of acting the way that Jesus acts? And yet that's what's being talked about here in the passage. The reason there is fear is because the people are acting like Jesus that have come to know him as Lord and Savior. They are imitating him. And as they imitate him and follow him, guess what it brings into their life? It brings joy. Look at that in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy. What does an upside down, right side up world look like? It looks like one that is happy and filled with joy. This word for joy, it means delight. It means having a party. It means the celebration when a king ascends to his throne. It's used of a wedding. It's used of a celebration at a holiday. This is what's being talked about. That's why I am so encouraged when we as a church can rejoice and sing together and celebrate our great God. Because the gospel brings joy into our hearts and into our lives. And of all people, we as God's children should be filled with joy. 
and we should be celebrating in our Lord. So that's what this upside-down world would look like. Now, what causes this to happen? What causes an upside-down world? As we've talked about, it's really not an upside-down world. It's a what? A right-side-up world. What causes it? First of all, Paul tells us it's caused in verse 5 by the gospel. Because our gospel came to you. The good news, the great tidings, the world cannot be turned right side up without the gospel. It's not going to happen politically. It must occur through the preaching and teaching and the commitment to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it that we proclaim? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, tells us very clearly. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So let me stop there for a moment. This is the only way that you can be saved, is through the gospel. There's no other way. It says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is the gospel we proclaim? We were singing about it this morning. That Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of the Old Testament, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that's why we can be saved, because he defeated death, and he provided a way of salvation for us. The gospel this is how the world is turned right side up, is through the gospel by which we stand and by which we are saved. But this gospel comes about in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at it in verse 5 again. In verse 5 it says this, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. It takes the power of God to save a man. It takes the power of God to change a man. Salvation is a work of God in our lives. God opens our eyes and we put our faith and trust in him, in the gospel. And by that we are saved. The gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that occurs through the receiving of the word. Look at it in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the word of God that changes us. 
It is the Word of God that the Spirit of God uses to help us see and help us put our faith and trust in Jesus. It's through the receiving of the Word. It's through the turning from idols to God. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, it tells us this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. A turning. This is a picture of repentance that we turn from and we turn to. We turn from our sin. We turn from that which we worshiped before. And an idol is anything that you put before God. Anything. Anything that you worship rather than worshiping God has become an idol in your life. So how is the world turned right side up? It's turned right side up as we turn from that which has dominated our lives before and we turn to God and we follow him. We turn from idols to God. And then I, I like this. In verse 10, what brings this all about? It's Jesus. The name that makes all the difference in the world. The name Jesus. You remember why he was called Jesus? Because he came to save his people from their sin. Jesus, look at it in verse 10. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. The essence of the gospel, Jesus. It is really all about Jesus. Paul proclaimed Jesus. To them. And it's through Jesus that the world is turned right side up. And one more thing that we see here in verse 10. You read it again, follow with me, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, we'll talk about this wrath to come later on as we work through the book of 1 Thessalonians. But this wrath to come is not there a reference to hell. That's not its primary meaning, even though hell is a place of God's wrath. The wrath to come is speaking of the wrath that is going to come upon this world in the future after Jesus has come and taken his saints away. That's the hope that we have. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are a part of his family. We help make up the bride of Christ. And Jesus is coming back for his bride. And by doing so, he has promised us that we will be kept from the wrath that will come upon this earth. Praise God that we will be delivered. 
Now see, believing in this, the preaching and the teaching of this, and recognizing it and accepting it is the means by which we are saved. And it causes us to behave in a different way. Now, those in Thessalonica who were jealous of Paul and were jealous of the church and the people and its growing popularity in the city, they hated all of this. And yet we can see what the gospel produces is not bad for people. It's not bad for the city. It's that which turns the world right side up. It's that which causes people to behave in a way that will create unity and love and accomplishment all to the glory of God. Now let's talk this morning practically what this means for us. First of all, have you committed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his love? It is only those who are in a kingdom of darkness who would resent what the message of God would produce in a community. Think about if every member of a community acted like Jesus. Only those who cannot see the truth, who are blinded by Satan, would not want to see this type of thing happen in their city, right? Wouldn't you like to see everybody love everybody? Wouldn't you like to see everybody working and being productive? Wouldn't you like to see everybody with hope and not filled with fear and despair? That's what a world turned upside or turned right side up looks like. So only those who are blinded would not want this. But there are those who are blinded in our community and in our world because Satan has blinded them. And I appeal to you, do not be one of them. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, put your faith in trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he can break the power of darkness. And he brings about victory. On a personal level, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let's let the Spirit of God, in his power, who lives within us, guide us and direct us to live in such a way that we will bring glory to God and we will live in such a way to demonstrate this is the way God would want things to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we know that we are in a world that has been turned upside down by sin. And we would just pray this morning that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, that we might honor you and live in such a way 
to bring glory to your name. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.